Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Opening day drama. Hello and welcome to episode two of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we've once again got a full house. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good, thanks, Dan. Uh, good to get some the football back underway and get everything going, even if, you know, from a Spurs point of view, it was a bit of a damp squid. But there was some really good football, some good goals and some good talking points. So looking forward to getting into this one, mate. Yes, indeed. Which means you're also joined by Fulham fan Matthew. Matthew, I hope all is well. And how have you been this past week? Uh, it's not been too bad. Good to be back in the Premier League swing of things after the best part of you know, 18 months away from it and uh, the usual defeat for Fulham. So, yeah, it's good to get that back under the belt. And of course, last but not least, is our new signing, Max. Max, I'm sure you'll be delighted after a opening day win for the Palace. Yeah, 100%. It completely uh, dictates my mood for the whole week, which is bad when we lose, but it's fantastic when we win. Well, I've got, got you in a good mood today, so that's absolutely fine. And before we chat all things football, let's do the social media bits first. Otherwise, I'll be talking to the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy, 1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And also, if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to Anfield as the champions played host to the winners of the championship. And Cole, Leeds may not have won, but they certainly announced their return to the Premier League, haven't they? Yeah, that they kind of they they did themselves no no harm at all, did they, with that performance? Uh, and one that I think can kind of you know it's a defeat that you can actually go away feeling quite confident and actually put you in a, in a good mood for the sort of season you might be able to have ahead because obviously, you know, going behind so early in the game, you kind of thought, right, if the heads went down and suddenly Liverpool went on to kind of steamroller them in a real bad way, then obviously, you know, the mood changes and a little bit of pessimism comes over. But given the performance and the way they bounce back each time from going behind, and, you know, they, they came away from the game overall with more possession. Uh, they looked really good. They didn't look out of their depth at all. I think if you're a Leeds fan, you come away from that game sort of thinking, we may be about to have a half-decent season here because we've just gone and held the best team in the league and really given them a scare on the first day. With that said, Matthew, it's all very well heralding a return to the Premier League for Leeds and, you know, everyone's lauding Marcelo Bielsa as a managerial genius and all that. At the same time, 
This is still a team that's gone to Anfield, scored three times and got nothing out of it. So how criminal a performance is that? Um, I don't think it was really criminal because, you know, as Carl said, when you look at what Leeds would have expected this season and what they what they could have produced, I think coming out of that, that's a, one of those games you think, right, where are we in terms of our development and in terms of the rest of the Premier League? If they can go to Anfield and, you know, and even look at the performance, you know, one of them was a dodgy penalty. I have no idea what the latest handball rule is, so I'm just going to assume that was right, but let's say that was unfortunate. One of them was just, it was dropped over the line by uh, Meslier. Another one to strike from Salah, and then, again, you could have done better for the penalty. They didn't exactly, it wasn't as if they rolled over in defeat. They they showed that they can mix it, mix it with the rest of the Premier League, and if they can take that performance to the other teams in the Premier League, like sort of, you know, basically everyone in the bottom half of the table, then they'll, then they'll be fine. I don't think Leeds fans or Leeds United as a team are going to be judging their season like, oh, we can't win at Anfield, then there's no really no point for us playing this season. I don't think that's really the case for them. OK, it's a very fair point. But Max, there were many flashpoints in the game. The first being Liverpool's first penalty awards. Matthew's just alluded to that. Did you think the decision of handball was merited or was it a rather harsh one in your opinion? It is tricky because, to be honest, I think according to the rules, it was a penalty However, we've seen a lot of inconsistency in the last season or two or three about handball rules. A lot of Man City fans will look at Trent Alexander-Arnold's handball against them um, in, in the penalty area, which incidentally came just before Liverpool scored. Um, and, they'll, and they'll look at that and think there's not much difference between those. However, we have got to try and put all of the, the previous inconsistencies behind us and say, well, they've kind of updated the handball rule, although it was a bit unfortunate that it deflected off another part of his body and then hit his hand. It was, you know, outside his body, if that if that makes sense as a, as a physical phrase. His hand was outside his body. And so according to the rules, it was handball. Um it was slightly less of a penalty than the penalty at the end, which was super, super obvious. But I think it was ultimately a penalty and Leeds can't have too many complaints about it. So, Carl, we probably won't have time to break down all of the goals because there are so many of them. But if we assess Liverpool's performance as a whole, that scoreline, is it the champions being off the boil or is it fair to say Leeds gave them a first genuine test in quite a while? I think um, Leeds have given them a test, but I think what you're finding here, given the short pre-seasons that everyone's had, that this is just, you know, some teams are still finding their feet, finding their fitness, getting into their rhythm. Um, I think, you know, from a Liverpool sense, you come away thinking they'll be glad to get the win. You know, Salah, brilliant hat-trick. So he'll, he'll be buzzing. Um, you know, and what you will sit there is, though, Klopp will come away saying, OK, right, listen, you know, we've got away with it this week in terms of defensively. Um, but that is something that will be the real thing they take out of the game, saying we don't want to be conceding free and being quite as open um, throughout the season because, you know, you will come unstuck with the quality that people have got. So I think, you know, they'll look to improve, but they'll be happy they've got over the line. And again, you know, the players have got 90 minutes in, 90 minutes in the bank and you, you get a win and you open the day the way you really want to. And like I say, you know, when, when one of your star players bags a hat-trick, you can only feel that's going to set him in good stead for the rest of the season. Uh, and the second goal w was pure class. Matthew, when Trent Alexander-Arnold heads the ball past Alisson and into the goal, do you think he does that knowing it's offside and think, actually, do you know what, I'll just nod it anywhere and it lands where it lands? Or... Does he end up being a very lucky boy in all of that? Yeah, I think that's I think that's more luck more luck than anything. And you know, just go back to what Carl said. I think this this was just the first time that Liverpool have been tested because you look at what Leeds have offered. You know, go back to their FA Cup game against Arsenal. Uh, back in January, I think it was, however long ago that was, seems like two years at this stage, you showed that they could mix it. So I think this was just Liverpool and Leeds just wanted to show themselves. So I think that's what really caught them out. But yeah, Alexander-Arnold, very, very, very lucky on that stage. Max, Mo Salah will get the headlines for getting a hat-trick and it's also four opening day goals in a row, which equals a record with Teddy Sheringham. But I want to talk about Jack Harrison, a fantastic goal, the build-up as well from the pass from Calvin Phillips. What do you think he can do in the Premier League this season? Yeah, I thought he looked really good. I thought he looked really good. And he made Trent look quite silly uh, for, for his goal and, and, and Joe Gomez as well. He, he, he looks really strong. He had a really good season in the Championship last year. And a lot of people are forgetting he's on loan from Man City. And if he does well uh, in, in, the, in the Premier League for, for, for Leeds this season, it's not only an audition for Leeds to maybe sign him permanently. It's an audition for him to maybe go to 
Man City and be the second choice and be the second choice left winger there or fourth choice winger or forward. So he's got a real good chance of, of making a good impression, not only for Leeds, but for Man City if he carries on this this uh, this level of performance. Yeah. Are you suggesting that Pep Guardiola will play an English player? I, I don't see that for a second there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've caught Matthew's eye already. So Matthew's uh, long-standing bugbear with Pep is about English players and not being called up. But I guess, Matthew, very quickly, English players, Phil Foden, We've got to talk about that uh, Nations League hoo-ha, him and Mason Greenwood. The fallout, is that the right decision that Gareth's made? Um, yeah, I don't. he hasn't sort of announced any permanent, not I was going to say permanent, any long-term suspension or anything, as you like. Like, there was a lot of talk, you know, should he be excluded from the England squad for X amount of time? I think that would probably be the next, be it maybe for until the end of the year, I would say. I don't think you want to, I'd say he will never play for England whilst I'm in charge sort of thing because Greenwood and Foden, you know, will, can be key, key parts for England in the Euros next season. So I don't, I think that would have been too harsh, but I think a suspension probably till the end of the year, end of 2020 would probably seem, deem, be deemed about right. Yeah, I think you're about right. Certainly the October triple header, maybe November's fixtures, but like I say, if it's the end of the year, then so be it. Of course, Cole, earlier that afternoon when Liverpool beat Leeds, we also saw the curtain raiser to the Premier League season. And I guess, Cole, from an Arsenal point of view, you'd have to say they made particularly light work of Fulham. Yeah, yeah, probably probably a nice start. You know, they've gone out, done the job. Um, you know, you know, the better side on the day, obviously. Um, but I, I guess Arsenal would have gone there thinking, well, you know, that given their pre-season, given, you know, winning the FA Cup, finishing on a high, they would have liked to have gone there and start the way they did. Um, and you have to say, you know, it was reasonably impressive. Some good performances from the new boys, you know, William looks sharp, um, you know, the new guy scores from the corner. Um, it's everything you want from, you know, that sort of opening day game away from home and you come away with a comfortable victory and it just sets you up nicely for the rest of the season. But as we know, Arsenal are going to face a lot tougher challenges, unfortunately, than Fulham were able to give them. And it's when they face them challenges, how they react and whether they're a team that have now found sort of maybe like a stronger backbone than what they've ever had in the past. And we see how they respond, how the likes of Louise and all that come up when they face some, you know, quality strikers from within the top six. Um, and then we really get to judge Arsenal. But, you know, we've been here before with Arsenal, strong starts, looking good, playing some really nice football. And then the same old frailties and, and errors start creeping in over the course of the season. So they're one to watch, but, that you know, you'll be very pleased with that start. Matthew, you'll be the man to offer us, offer us the perfect perspective from a Fulham point of view. How is the opening offering from your stance? Is it the dose of reality that you were perhaps expecting? I wouldn't exactly call it a dose of reality because this is exactly what we expected. So it's, it's not as if it hit us with any big surprise. We knew what we knew what the challenges were, go, were going to be. I think we showed in the first couple of minutes that, again, similar to Leeds, but not at the same level as Leeds, that there will be enough there to, for us to compete. We had some good attacking plays. Uh, Kamara was very sharp on the loose pass by, I think it was Tierney. Uh, just couldn't put it away. But yeah, when our season isn't going to be judged against the likes of Arsenal and losing to the like, no, losing the likes of Lacazette and Aubameyang scoring goals, we're not going to be facing them every week. There are still some positions that need to be sorted out, like a left-sided centre back. We've been calling out for since January, so the fact that that hasn't been addressed is kind of annoying. But yeah, there's there's enough there that makes me think that we'll at least give a better uh, better fight than we did when we were last in the Premier League, and that's really all we can hope for at this stage, given the tough task of you know the short turnaround from Championship to Premier League. And Max, I think Arsenal's performance could be typified by their third goal, a fantastic team effort that saw Aubameyang slot home with relative ease. Of course, much has been made of his contract talks, but they got a new signing in Willian. What did you think of his debut performance? I thought he was really good. I thought he was really good. And the the downside to maybe signing a, a player like Willian, who's the wrong side of, of 30, uh, on a three-year deal, is that towards the, the back end of those three years, his performances are going are gonna to drop a little bit and, you, and you're going to have a player who's on very high wages who isn't starting. But the, the flip side of that is that by signing him now, a player who was in really good form for Chelsea last season, you have a player who is instantly ready to make 
uh, an impact in the Premier League. Whereas if you sign someone from, say, the Championship or elsewhere in Europe, it could conceivably take them six months to adapt. Willian has gone straight away into the side, first game of the season, first start, and and, and, and looked really good. And he made an instant impact. And he's shown already that um, on a free transfer, he, he's better than a 70 million player in Nicola Pepe. And he's going to play more than him on the right-hand side. Mikel Arteta now has to figure out a way of trying to get both of them uh, into into their team. Because arguably, they've both got the talent to be in there. But yeah, Willian made a really good a really good start. So, Matthew, I want to throw it back to you. And I think, Max, you'll be good to ask this also. And this is without being condescending in any way. What is it like to support a club which has been promoted? Because me and Cole have not experienced this. And I mean that by saying, when does the celebration stop? And the fear of, oh dear, we're now in for the tough one. So, Matthew, I'll get your viewpoint first, please. Um, I think it, I think it really comes out on, on fixture release day more than anything. But I suppose you want something later in the season. Um, I think it's more or less... Well, in normal circumstances, it would be the end of October because that's three months into the season. When you've got a good gist of where the team is, you know, translate that into now, it'd be November time. So I think once you've got the first 10 games out of the way and the league table starts to take a little bit of shape, I think that's when it really starts to sink in that, you know, especially if you're in a position like us, oh crap, we're in for the long, we're in for the long haul here and we've got to sort ourselves out. I think that's really when, when it starts to hit and you, that, that initial euphoria starts to wear off. So Max, is there a sense that when you play at a high level, the likelihood of them winning most weekends has been removed from the season before? So are you then putting quite a quandary because obviously you want to be seen against tougher competition, but you also want that winning feeling. Now, yes, they can be combined if you have a good season up in the next level, but there is a bit of a trade-off. So how does that sort of play out for you? It is It is a bit strange, especially when you go from winning the majority of your games in in the championship. And, and you know, if you go on like a 10-game winning run, which is quite conceivable for a team that is good enough to go up from the championship. And then you go into the Premier League and you win one in your first 10. The first 10 games after Palace got promoted, I think it was back in 2013-14, we won one and we lost nine out of our first 10. And I think 10 games is a, is a good yeah, is a good kind of a milestone to see how you're doing. But you do have to just accept that in a lot of games, you're going to play badly. And in the ones you play well, you're still going to lose because other teams are a bit more streetwise and know how to get the result over the line. So your expectations do change. To be honest, even five or six years on as a Palace fan, I'm still content, really, if Palace play well. And if we play well and have a lot of chances and a team just does us on the counter-attack and wins 1-0, I'm not too upset. Um, but there is equally a place for a nice uh, a nice counter-attack 1-0 like we had at the weekend. We'll get to that in a moment. But Cole, I guess there's us two sitting in our ivory tower talking about not getting promoted or not needing to. But it would be nice to celebrate something. And if we go back to Sunday, we had absolutely nothing to cheer about, did we? I was going to say, I, I'm un, I, I start to panic after one game already. <laughs> about 10 in. Um, no, yeah, it, it, there was nothing there, was it? It was, it was as flat as it could be for a first day performance. Um, and, I, and I think that's the real worrying thing that you're sitting there looking at, um, thinking, wow, you know, that there was no, what, there didn't seem to be any real passion, any fight. Um, there was no urgency, no pace. And, you know, again, as, as we discussed on, a, on another pod, um, a Spurs pod, that the worry is, is if you thought you were suddenly before the window was going to close, go out and maybe now bring in, you know, three or four players, then you thought, well, actually, that could refresh it. And, and then, you know, the season will actually start once the transfer window ends. You know, knowing the club, that probably isn't what's going to happen. You know, we might be lucky to see a backup striker come in and you wouldn't be surprised if that's it. So there is a slight pessimism over the mood thinking, oh, you know, we don't think we've got anywhere in near enough to compete. Um, and when you're seeing that sort of performance with most of your key players out, you are starting to panic. And as we know, there is a lot of debate about have we got, you know, the old Joe say who's still got that winning mentality and is he still the special one? Or have we got the Joe say that kind of suddenly rocked up at Man United and we found that actually this might be a guy that football's leaving behind and he isn't up or, or can't get anything more out of the teams he manages now. So, like as you say, the opening day for us left a lot to be desired. We've got to hope we can improve and Joe say can find the right mixture with that side. 
um, and we see where we get going. But yeah, like as you say, we could find that 10 games in, we're sitting roughly mid-table and the season looks like it's going to be a long road for us as well. Absolutely. So Matthew, me and Carl have lambasted Spurs at length already. It'd be nice to get a view from outside the Tottenham bubble, as it were. From a neutral, where did it all go wrong for Spurs? Um, how long have you got? Can we uh, go back? Is it is it is it ten <laughs> ten years? However long it is under Daniel Levy. However, yeah. basically, I I, no. I think that's 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 the main assumption that we're getting from everything tournament. I think the neutral is sort of understanding this way. It's not just a manager problem because yeah, even though Jose has taken a little bit of a step back in what he once was, it's not all down to him. You know, it is the lack of investment from Levy. So it's just, you know, coming home to root is not hitting in quite the same way as, you know, I made this example many times before with, with Wigan, how they would you know stay up on the last couple of weeks of the season. And then finally, bang, that was it. They got relegated. It's similar to Spurs, you know, all these years of fighting for the top four, fighting for the top four, you know, pretty much guaranteed now it's just starting to come to hang on we might not get it this year i think now it's just a case of daniel levy's you know lack of investment finally coming home to show it's, you know stuff like not finding an adequate backup for harry kane you haven't bought a forward since vincent jansen something along those lines um correct me if correct me if i'm wrong but you haven't signed a forward in some time that famous you know not going a year without time it's basically just all of that culminating in you know what is a poor start and pretty poor performance against Everton on Sunday oh yeah absolutely I mean we'd love to talk more about Spurs but we would be here to about eight o'clock at night and it's 2 30 now as we're recording so we'll move on a little bit Max because we're probably doing Everton a bit of a disservice because you look at the, the game it's always about oh how bad Spurs played but I thought Everton Begrudgingly, they played quite well. And when you look at what they want to be doing this season, for them to put down a marker against what you would consider, at best, a big six rival, that's a big result for them, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I thought they were I thought they were really good. And, and yeah, Spurs weren't great, but you're right, it does Everton a disservice. Um, the trouble with Everton last season is that the spine of their team, and particularly the centre of their midfield, was really, really weak. And weak in terms of numbers, it's not necessarily a slight on Andre Gomez, who I rate quite highly. But, you know, Tom Davis was having to play in there and he's maybe not ready to start for a Premier League side yet, especially not a top eight one. Um, Gilfie Sigurdsson was having to fill in as one of the two midfielders in a 4-4-2 and he's just really not suited to that. Um, he's arguably not even not even good enough to, to play as a number 10 now and, and probably won't this season now that they've strengthened. But particularly their central midfield players, I thought their new signings were really good. Alan was a real uh, ball of energy. Um, so was so was Decore. He made a really, really crucial tackle on Lucas Mora, um, which which is, in my opinion, was a goal saver. Um, and then and then James Rodriguez looked looked really strong as well. He He looked really classy, really lovely touch, really creative player. And I thought they were really good. So, Carl, Everton have changed their shape because they were a 4-4-2 team at the tail end of last season. But after buying three midfielders, Allen, Decore, Rodriguez, the shape has now enabled them to all play. So what did you make of their new look and how effective can it be this season? Yeah, I think with the quality they've brought in there, I mean, you know, Rodriguez kind of showed, didn't he, that, you know, that some teams may have missed a trick there because when you look at what potentially we might be crying out for, then you looked at how he played on the weekend and thought, wow, you know, he actually was so good on the ball. Um, and, and when you've got a player like that who can spread passes, you know, create things, open teams up, it, it just gives you another confidence level altogether. Um, and, and I think Everton this year could be exciting. Obviously, you know, you can't go too soon because it's one game. I think the problem they've still got might be, you know, the, the goals up top. You know, Calvert-Lewin's done really well um, and he looks like he's really developing. But they may need someone else that can back him up, that can score goals. Um, defensively, you've still got question marks over Pickford around how can he keep his form going. You know, we quite rightly said on another pod that you know we was hoping we'd get the Jordan Pickford who'd throw one in for us, but we suddenly found the solid Pickford. But can he keep that going? How long before maybe his form dips? And if he dips, then suddenly you know that causes question marks for the defence. Um, but they look solid, and you would think that they should be up there in and around the fight for sixth or seventh place. Um, and hopefully that they can build on that. But as I say, it will all depend on how they can how they can go, 
whether they can keep that going, whether they've got enough in depth to kind of see them out the season if they pick up a couple of injuries. Um, so I think Everton are an interesting watch, but I still think they're a side that, you know, they could equally fight for fifth or sixth. Or they could suddenly have a stumble in form and before you know it, they're just lying around 10th or 11th. And, you know, that Rodriguez hasn't hit the heights that we saw from Sunday. You know, Pickford's throwing them in every week and defensively they look a little bit shaky. So I think they're a good one to watch. But that performance that they put in against us on Sunday should give them a lot of hope for the season ahead. Absolutely. And, you know, it's an if and always a big if with Everton. But if they do get the house in order... That's the worst news that Tottenham could have. Because if you look at Wolves, they're not going to have a bad season. They're going to be you know, just as good, if not better, this time around. Leicester, you don't know if they've flapped their lines and won't bounce back. But that race for the top six is going to get harder and harder with each year that passes. And if Matthew sort of goes by his theory, this regression is going to kick in even further. And Spurs have sort of worked their way down the league table the last three seasons after finishing second. It paints a pretty devastating picture in the white half of North London. But anyway, Matthew, going back to the game... Much was made of the fact that Everton stole five yards from the free kick, which then led to the goal. But those complaints, is it just a case of after the horse has bolted? Yeah, it's one of these things, you know, we, we've talked about, I'm sure Carl might mention this in one of the um, In The Bin episodes uh, a couple of seasons ago. You know, I think he was complaining about throw-ins and how they're always taking 10 yards up the pitch from where they usually go. It's just one of those things that happens in football. I don't think anyone can really complain. I'm pretty sure that later on in the game or even earlier on in the game, Tottenham would have had a corner where the ball wasn't within the quadrant or overhanging the quadrant. I think if you're complaining about the ball being a little bit further forward than it needs to be, then you're, you are still scraping their barrel when it comes to excuses. So, no, I'm not I'm not buying that for a second, personally. That's fair enough, mate. It went on sale, but I th- yeah, I think it was just a, a nonsense argument, really. Like I say, if, if you gain from that, then it's all very quiet, isn't it? So it's just Tottenham trying to pluck at any straws they were given, but it was a fruitless task, as was the afternoon. And Max, on the evidence that you've witnessed on Sunday, 12 months from now, a summer transfer window would have closed because the calendar would be recalibrated to what you'd like to think is normal. 12 months from now, can you still see Harry Kane honestly in Tottenham colours? This is this is <laughs> this is an interesting question. I I think it completely depends on how they do this year because I've seen uh, the the Spurs all or, all or nothing documentary on on Amazon Prime, and uh, Jose was very very quick to call him into his office one to one, face to face, and say, "Look, you're you're up there with with the best players in the world. I want you to explode onto that." world-class stage and be up there you know with the likes of Messi and Ronaldo and Lewandowski and others like that and and Harry Kane seemed quite to me to be quite taken in by that and and and, and willing to give it a year or two at Spurs to see how they go um if they have another disappointing year this season and they finish kind of edging around the top half eighth or ninth or tenth but not not European football and the performances uh still aren't good I, th- I think we could really see him go. There was, there was a, there was another instance which wasn't picked up so much, um, wasn't picked on so much by by the by the kind of mainstream media. But then when Ericsson left the club, Harry Kane said um, privately in uh, in the in the training ground, he said, "Oh, well, you know, you can't blame someone for for wanting a fresh start or something like that." And I'm not saying he was hinting at his future Spurs departure, but there is. Uh, an acknowledgement within him that at some point there there might be a change, and if Ericsson can go, then then why can't he go? Absolutely, it's very 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 fearful. I think for Tottenham fans because I think it all rests on this season, and I don't even know if the Europa League finish would be enough. I think you have to be seen to be winning something. I think it literally is all or nothing in terms of silverware for Kane's long term future at the club. But Max, I will stay with you because we're going to stay in the capital bubble. And with that, Palace, they got off to a good start. They needed a good start, which we spoke about last week. I thought a lot more energy in that performance that we saw to the tail end of last season. Is that a fair assessment? And what's your overall assessment from Saturday's performance? Yeah, I was pleased. I was pleased. There did seem to be uh, a lot more energy. I think obviously towards the end, they were really they're really hamstrung by the by the by their small squad. I think I mentioned that last week. But yeah, we looked we looked pretty good. And although uh, we were bailed out a couple of times by uh, Vincenzo Guaita, who I really don't think is spoken about enough because he's he's a fantastic keeper, got him on a free transfer. And in terms of expected goals, uh, although you know you do have to take some statistics with a pinch of salt and put them in context, he was he was right up there with you know the likes of Dean Henderson at Sheffield United and Hugo Lloris at Spurs in terms of expected goals, um, 
conceded and actual goals conceded he, he he actually saved us from nine or ten goals that on the stats were were good enough to go in but but he was he was he was good enough to keep him out he is he is really good and al- although we were bailed out by him a couple of times uh, notably from Che Adams uh, shot midway through the second half and Danny Ings header at the end uh, I thought we were pretty good value for the win they didn't really create that much and and for a team who were absolutely flying uh, post project restart you know I think they had the the third best away record in the league last season after Liverpool and City um, I thought we did I thought we did really well and what's more Wilfred Zaha was absolutely fantastic there was no sulking or moaning that, that, that you can sometimes see from him he looked fit he looked firing he looked really sharp he was on it he wasn't reacting to the usual wind-up tactics from uh, Southampton and James Ward-Prowse in particular I'm delighted that we got one over on and um and, and I'm really positive for 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 our season going forward so, Matthew, a good start for the Eagles. They were soaring, but the Saints, not so much. They had 64% of the possession. So that's the most of any of the Premier League clubs this weekend. I guess it shows it's not how much of the ball you have, it's what you do with it. Now, they certainly did strike the fingertips of Guaita twice, as Max has alluded to. How disappointed will they be with their own performance? Uh, obviously disappointed, but again, first first game of the season, you don't know how much you want to sort of read into that. You know, no pre-season, and they came up against you know what we've you know you won't hear me saying any bad word against Roy Hodgson. Roy Hodgson knows what to do in order to grind out a result. And if that means giving sixty four percent or whatever it is possession of the ball away to Southampton, then then so be it. I think it you know Crystal Crystal Palace will be one of the harder places to go to this season. And just on the thing, if Crystal Palace do get side Ben Rama from Brentford, that front three is going to look incredible. I just want to add that. Ben Rama, Eze and Zaha up front is going to be electric in the bottom half of the table. I'll say that. But back to Southampton. Yeah, I don't think there's really been too much. I think one of the things is whether or not the likes of Shea Adams is going to get a a bit of a run in the first team because he's shown what he can do when he gets a consistent run with with his runs at Sheffield United and Birmingham. And he was a bit in and out of the squad last season. But I think if he can get a consistent run, him and Danny Ings up top, I think will will cause a lot of defences, a lot of problems. You mentioned the Brentford striker. They have got Batshuayi on loan again, so I don't know if there's room for him also. It'd be a bit, a little bit too top-heavy. Almost the sort of the opposite of the problem they had before with not enough forwards, but we'll have to wait and see. I know that Brentford players are in demand, Cole, but also in demand was the VAR monitor because for a change, VAR's been painted in a good light. John Moss told to go and have a look at it. After watching the tackle back by Carl Walker-Peters, the red got turned into a yellow. So was that the right decision for you? Yeah, definitely. For me, you know, it, it wasn't a red card tackle. Um, you know, when you saw it, first of all, and you're seeing the replays, you're thinking, wow, that is harsh. Um, but it's glad to see, isn't it, that the right thing has been done. And it was what we were calling out for last year. You know, get the ref to go and have another look. You know, he can go and have another look, see something. He might go, oh, actually, yeah, you know, maybe I've made a mistake there and rectify that and change the decision. So, you know, you have to give a round of applause there for VAR and the way that was implemented. And I think by doing that, they came to the correct conclusion. The red card was rescinded um, and, and you know, an injustice hasn't been done. So, yeah, I, I think that was brilliant. And, and that's just hope we see more of that throughout the course of this season. Carl, I'll stay with you because we're going to stay in London for a bit longer. West Ham, they lost to Newcastle on Saturday. Now, if you were a Hammers fan, I don't want that uh, sort of... But if you were, begrudgingly, how concerned would you be at the fact that when you consider that defeat and the runner fixtures they've got after, that might be their only realistic chance for early points? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously there's no panic after one game as such. But I think given the pre-season as well and the recent stuff that's gone on there around, obviously, you know, Mark Noble coming out and criticising the club for selling, you know, one of their best young players they've got. Um, you just kind of get the impression that not everything is right there um, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And if that starts to have a knock-on effect on the pitch, as you say, they can't afford to lose the sort of games at home that they feel they should be winning um, because with tougher fixtures to come, you get on a bad run. And that, you know, before you know it, as the guys have said, come 10 games in, if you find yourself in the bottom three and not playing well, then it's hard to get out of that rot. So I think West Ham, 
you know, I hate to say, you know, I've got a West Ham fan who thinks they're in for relegation this season um, because just the way the fact of everything that's surrounding the club and the way it's run, you'd have to say on that performance, I think they're in for a long, hard season um, and they just need to try and make sure they can kind of, you know, get themselves going. They put in some good performances towards the end of last season, um, so they don't want to ruin that. But they will feel disappointed because I think they will think at home they should really have got something there against Newcastle. Matthew, in this current financial climate, much has been made of the term sell to buy. And West Ham look like they're in that position themselves. So, with that in mind, can you see them selling the crown jewel, which is Declan Rice? Or will that be far too much for the uh, fan base to bear? Because it could get a bit nasty if that happens, couldn't it? Yeah, funnily enough, I've been right about this subject quite a lot of work, so it's brilliant you asked me that. Um, I don't think Declan Rice is going to go anywhere personally. I think he's far too important a commodity to them. I, But I think there are a couple of others that are pers- personally up for the job. I think Issa Diop, I think, was recently valued at $45 million. I think he's going to be one of the big players that you know is, is sort of brought up. Um, I th- I, yeah, I think once you get... I think once they get that one out of the way and they get in, you know, like I, 45 is probably a bit of a push, but if they can get 30 million for him, I think that would be, that would be a good bit of business and then use that to, that to rebuild the squad. But I don't think Deccan Rice is going anywhere just because of, I think mainly his versatility, what he can offer. He offers you know, defensive midfield, centre back into an extent central midfield as well. I think he's far too valuable, even for the 80 million. I think it's been quoted at. No, they're not. They're not selling him just yet. But there are, but there are a number of others who will probably go before him. Yeah, I guess with Rice, it's a sense of market value and value to the team. And you'd have to say, with as you said, the positions that he could play, his value arguably exceeds 80 million. I think they'd be absolutely mad to to sell him. I think if he did that, that's waving the white flag in terms of the season. But at the same time, there are probably players that could be moved on to bring names in. I know we mentioned James Tarkovsky last week. So there's the hope of business, but whether it gets over the line is another thing. In terms of business, though, Max, Newcastle, they signed Callum Wilson. Now, for a club and a chairman that, you know, everyone says, oh, he doesn't really like them and he's not really bothered about Newcastle, he has put a bit of money in still. Obviously, when you're a Newcastle fan, you're dreaming of this this takeover that isn't going to happen. You're dreaming of Mbappe and Bale and all that. They've got Callum Wilson. It's a bit of a difference, but on the evidence of that opening day performance, still a rather astute signing, you'd have to say. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And although I don't think I can give any credit to to Mike Ashley for for the way he runs the club generally or his relationship with the fans, I think the business that he's done, and I don't know how much of that is down to him or down to Steve Bruce, the manager or the recruitment team, but definitely if it was Mike Ashley who was at the forefront of the signings of Jamal Lewis and Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson and, and Jeff Hendrick as well, who looked really good on debut, um, then you have to give him credit because Callum Wilson is just a very good, solid Premier League striker. Like I said with Willian earlier, he's capable of making a, an instant impact. And he did. And it wasn't just his goal. It was his his movement off the ball, his, his willingness to, to run the channel. And he looked really sharp. He looked really fit. Um, obviously, Fraser's going to have a bit of a bedding in period, having not played for Bournemouth towards the end of the season. But yeah, I thought Wilson looked really good, and he's in—he's at the prime of his career. And they got him for fifteen or twenty million, which is which is pretty cheap for for an English striker who, who scores goals. And I think he could he could easily get fifteen or twenty goals for them this season. Oh yeah, I think you know he's got the ability to be a talisman up at Tyneside, and I think he could be the sort of difference between Newcastle in a dogfight and quite comfortably mid-table, which is something that. West Brom would love to be Cole. And if you look at their business over the summer, you'd have to say not a lot in the way of astute signings. And really, they're still just a championship outfit in all but name. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think West Brom are probably going to be in the same boat as Fulham, aren't they? When it, when it comes to kind of the sort of season they'll have, you know, that they haven't been able to go and just add lots of, you know, suddenly Premier League proven quality. Uh, you know, they've tried to buy in some good young talent that they're hoping, you know, they'll develop and suddenly give them some good times. But I think, unfortunately, given the fact that, you know, they don't have that proven Premier League um, record as such, they'll have some good moments, but then they'll have a lot of bad moments. I worry about the amount of goals that West Brom might score. I think that could be their real problem. And when you look at that game at the weekend, you know, for, say, 15, 20 minutes, I think they gave a good account of themselves. But as the game went on, Leicester just took more and more control of that game. And in all honesty, by the end of it, 
that it could you could have been looking at a six or seven nil defeat on another day um, if Leicester take their chances. And obviously, I think that is going to prove to be West Brom's real problem. Lack of goals, some inexperienced players who need to learn. And at this level, you know, they'll come up against street-wide sides who, you know, that they will really struggle with. So, based on that early performance and the signings, I really struggle to see West Brom being anywhere other than in that bottom three for most of the season. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there, Cole. But Matthew, they lost 3-0 to Leicester. The Foxes took a while to get going, you know, 0-0 at half-time. But it almost felt like a capitulation after the interval. There were some instances of play with West Brom. They sort of were trapped in the, the corner, didn't really know what to do with it. You know, if you had a, a baying Hawthorne's crowd, they'd be quite angry at that. It was sort of a real disjointed defensive performance and they got punished. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think this was more a case of West, of West Brom being bad than it was Leicester City being good in anything. They just took advantage of the situation. Going back to what... Carl was saying, if you look at West Brom and the signings they made, they haven't really made any signings. All they've done is just keep the side that was available from last year. Like so, Dean Garner was on loan, Pereira was on loan, and Callum Robinson was on loan. All they've read, those are the only major signings they've done, and they just brought them back for another year. And I think that would be worrying if I was a West Brom fan. So, yeah, and I think again, another situation like like Spurs is just coming home to roost of just how bad this West Brom team is because they are effectively now a championship side in the Premier League. And when you come up against a good side like Leicester in, in that situation with the experienced players that they have, there's only one way that that game is going to go. Well, they're almost a Premier League club by accident because when you look at their results at the tail end of last season, they were doing their damnedest almost not to get promoted. I know they wanted to get promoted, but they were you know fluffing their lines at every occasion possible. And as you say, Matthew, they just literally topped up the deals they've had and there's nothing in the way of a an influx or regeneration. And if you're a West Brom fan, that's a huge concern. What won't be a concern, though, to Leicester is the fact that Jamie Vardy's in the goals, Max. Now, obviously, he'll steal the headlines with his duo of penalties, but I just want to focus on Timothy Castagna quickly because his debut, he also got a goal. That's going to go some way to fill in the void of Ben Chilwell and his departure, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and and he'll he'll be a very good uh, cover for for Ricardo Pereira as well, who who I rate really highly, but is obviously out injured and has been out injured for a long time. It'll be really interesting to see how they how they kind of manage that because obviously Ben Chilwell, the left back, ha- has gone out. Um, Castagna can can play both sides and play right back and left back, and and he did play both sides for for a really a really promising Atalanta side um, in Syria and in and, and in Europe last season. So I suspect that although he started Castagna started at right back at the weekend and Justin was left back, I think he might move across to the left when Pereira is back to allow the the Portuguese to to get back in the team. Um, but he looked he looked really good. He's got. A goal threat, which Brendan Rodgers described before the game, and he showed that, and and he he was right up in the box and and a nice header, and he could be the kind of player that Sir Jorier, formerly Sir Jorier, was for Spurs, that Matt Doherty will be now for Spurs. Um, in that, if you play him at a right back, you can leave one of your fullbacks back a little bit and and just let him go and do his thing going forward. And it was a really nicely taken goal. He's he's young. Uh, Palace were interested in him a, a season or two ago, and I'm a little bit disappointed we we couldn't get him because he looks uh, he looks a really solid Premier League player. Yeah, I think a great debut from him, and I think uh, a wise move from Leicester. But let's go to Monday Night Football now. Cole, Chelsea, they were given a small fright in the second half when Brighton equalised. You'd have to say in the end their quality throughout certainly shone through, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think yeah, obviously, you know, Chelsea have got quite a few new players in there, so you you know they're going to take a little bit of while to bed in, but um, they they did look you know reasonably good. Um, whether that was some of that was just Brighton not really giving them as much of a game as we'd have hoped they would do, but you know, Chelsea, you know, were looking good, and it will take them a little while for those players to settle in. But based on that first game, you'd say there's some encouraging signs. Um, you know, quite funny the fact that the goal scorers were not the sort of players we were expecting it to be. You know, I'm sure with all that attacking talent they've just got in, uh, we weren't expecting Reese James and Kurt Zuma to no. be the main goal scorers <laughs> for them on the night. Um, but that's always a good thing, isn't it? Because when when those players get going, um, you know, Werner and people like that, Havertz, then, you know, they've got some real quality on their hands. And I thought Werner looked quite sharp, to be honest, at times. So I think it's just a case of once he gets his first, he could go on a really good run. But they'll be encouraged. I think, as we did say, you know, Chelsea 
it could be the goalkeeper situation that causes them a problem. Um, but I think, you know, that that will only see that when they come up against, you know, some better sides who probably really give them a little bit more of a of a match than what Brighton did last night. Well, they've got Liverpool on Sunday, so that'll be a match for the uh, the keeper. But will that keeper be Kepper, Matthew? Because Brighton equalised from Trossard. How much fault do you lie at the hands of the Spaniard? Um, not a lot, if I'm be if I'm being brutally honest. Could he have done better? Yes, he could have. But I don't want to get this get on this train that basically every single goal that he concedes, we have to shine up. We have to you know put a highlight on him and see everything. It came through a crowd of players. It was a pretty good shot. It was low in the corner. It it was it wasn't a total it wasn't a total disaster. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it that way. But I've, and Frank Lampard said off said after the game he came out and defended him. So I don't think it's anything. To, this goal in particular isn't anything to be majorly concerned about. But if they are going to be in the market for a goalkeeper, I do think that it is the kind of reactionary stuff that would just bum another five or ten million pounds on. Any potential goalkeeper, I have no idea who, who, who the available goalkeepers are. Donnarumma, let's just throw that name out, for example. That's going to put another five or ten million pounds on his try on his price tag if Chelsea are in the market for one. Yeah, I guess you know it's all about supply and demand, really. And I think if you're sort of seeing that Kepa, not well, I guess he is a liability to a certain degree. But yes, they would be harsh to label that exactly down to his fault. But with the window narrowing in terms of time, selling clubs be thinking, well, actually, yeah, like you say. We could stick a zero on that and then it just adds to uh, Chelsea's problems. But in terms of uh, problems yesterday, or Monday night, shall we say, Max, there was no real problem because they were in front two minutes later. And when you look at the goal, a fantastic goal from Rhys James. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. I tweeted out earlier, uh, I was really disappointed that headline writers didn't come up with James and the Giant Peach because it was oh, a giant oh, peach oh, yes. of a goal. Excellent work, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was fantastic. And, and Lampard's actually came out after after the game and said he wasn't that surprised, which is funny because often when a, a defender scores a screamer like that, the manager will say, yeah, he's never, ever done that before. Complete fluke, complete one-off. Uh, Lampard actually came out and said, yeah, he can he, he, he can and does strike them like that. And it was a really, really super goal. Um, Lampard also went on to say that as Piliqueta had a bit of a knock, you know, wasn't completely fit and that once... He, uh, as Pelicueta was fully fit again, he would have a choice as to as to whether he would play uh, James or, or as Pelicueta. But I think he, uh, to be honest, I think James is slightly ahead of as Pelicueta at this point. He he's fantastic physically. He's got a really good touch, um, and he he can just bang one in from from thirty yards as we saw. Um, and what a depth of talent England have in the right back position. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? You know, you go through periods where it's quite you know lights and then you've got a, a surplus which you know you could probably shift some to left back or play one inside but it's a, certainly a nice problem to have for Gareth Southgate and it's a case of you know which one you opt for but you know we're not the England manager and Matthews wouldn't care either because he's Welsh but anyway let's go to Bramwell Lane for the final game of our Monday night's uh, feast and it was at uh, Bramwell Lane between Sheffield United and Wolves so Cole you'd have to say a good start for Wolves and they've quickly got over their Europa League disappointment. Yeah, that they really come out of the blocks and, like I say, you know, three and six minutes of goals and, and kind of put the game to bed there and then. Um, and and as you rightly say, I think what Wolves were looking for was just to make sure that they could come out, put the end of last season to bed, make sure they kind of set their tone early uh, and they get themselves on a roll and make sure that everyone still knows that this season they're going to be a real handful uh, and they'll be up there and thereabouts, possibly challenging for Champions League or at least, you know, the Europa League. So not an easy place to go. Obviously, I think we're all waiting to see what Sheffield United do this season, given their second season and how impressive they were. So Wolves would feel really pleased to go there, clean sheet, got off the mark and now this can set them up for a really good start to the season and hopefully you know you've got Jimenez back in the goals and he'll be looking to sort of continue that form and you know get himself in, a, in with a shout of the golden boot this year so I think they'll be very very happy and, and again they look quite sharp. And Matthew how important is the new contract which has been signed by Nuno how integral will he be to Wolves hopeful upward trajectory? He'll be very important. I know we don't see many, you know, 10 or 20 year managers, you know, circa Wenger and Ferguson in modern football these days. But I think if there is going to be someone that will sort of challenge that logic, it will be Nuno Santos. I think he's got a very, very 
good thing going on with with Wolves right now. They're always continuing developing their long term project, and yeah, I, I think I may have said this in previous seasons, but uh, people talk about you know when will Nuno make the jump to a Man United or a Chelsea or something? You know when will he move to a big club? If he carries on the way they're going, Wolves will be a big club, and you know they've sort of established themselves as you know a Europa League challenger. Within what the first two seasons in there, they're in the Premier League now in their third. So the fact that he's got them there from from the Championship is fantastic. And anything that happens at Wolves in the next five to ten years will more than likely go through Nuno. Oh yeah, I mean, I've always believed it's not a case of if they get into the top four; it's just when. You know, it might not be this season, but they're putting all these building blocks in, and the the talent they're getting for a team which was promoted and it's just you know took to the Premier League like a duck to water. It's great from a neutral point of view, but as a Spurs fan, you've got vested interest because, as I said earlier, if Everton want to get in the mix, it makes life even harder. So Tottenham really need to just get their house in order because at the moment, we're going to get usurped by slightly unfashionable names. And to their credit, they deserve it if we don't spend the money. But we haven't got time to, uh, to keep going on that because I want to ask Max about the Blades. When you look at their defence last season, it was their bedrock, wasn't it? 39 goals scored, 39 goals conceded. That was the, the thing that kept them as a top-half team. On the evidence of that first performance, it's a little bit shaky at the moment, isn't it? It was a little bit shaky, and maybe maybe we're being a little bit harsh in that it's very easy to come back uh, after after a very short break and you know to to not be so switched on in the first ten minutes. And it was literally the first five or ten minutes that that did for them in the end. But uh, an interesting theory that I've that I've that I've read is that they they were bailed out a lot last season by Dean Henderson, who's obviously a fantastic keeper and might well be Man United's number one this season and possibly England's number one um, in, in, in the coming years, uh, if not straight away. And um, we saw Ramsdale look a little bit shaky. Uh, he possibly could have done better for, for the second goal, uh, the, the Roman Seiss goal from the corner. And I do wonder if their defence is going to be found out a little bit in terms of they don't have someone who's a properly, properly class keeper behind them anymore. Ramsdale's a little bit untested, um, although he obviously had last season uh, at Bournemouth. And I wonder if their if they're previously fantastic defence, who's one of the best defences in the division, having been promoted from the championship, uh, might be there, might, might be a bit of a weak link. And then when you also throw into that, that they've got essentially four strikers, none of whom can score, um, that 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 might be a bit of an issue for them because the likes of Billy Sharp and David McGoldrick and Ollie McBurney and Lisa Mousset, they're all decent players and they all do a job in Wilder's system, but they're not exactly natural goal scorers in the way that someone like Callum Wilson, who we've already mentioned, or even Mishi Batshuayi at Palace is. And so it could be it could be a a season of second season syndrome for them. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if they hit the same height. So I don't think they'll get relegated, but I think there'll be more of a sort of grind to them this season, which I guess is natural for teams who have hit quick heights and then just, you know, regress to the mean, as it were. Right, so those eight games were all on TV and they were all televised in different slots. We've got the same next week, or this coming week, shall we say, and the week after. So 28 different time slots, 28 matches. Carl, not good for any long-term relationship with a partner because they'll be, you know, going more football. But from a fan's point of view and the fact that we can't get into grounds, is that the right decision? Yeah, I think, you know, as I say, the fact that fans can't get into grounds, then obviously, you know, everyone wants to see their team play, don't they? So I think it is only right that everyone gets as much of an opportunity to see their side play their game if you can't get to the ground. Um, I guess those who probably have to pay for subscriptions are not necessarily, you know, over the moon because if, if you don't want to have Sky Sports or anything like that, then obviously, you know, at the moment, you're having to fork out a lot of money to see some of these games on a monthly basis. So that might not be great. But I think the main thing for everyone is they get to see their sides play. Um, so so this, is a, this is great for them. Um, as you say, I think if your relationship status, I'd imagine there's a lot of people changing that <laughs> through this next early part of the season. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing today, love? Nothing. There's football on. What time? All day. Oh, OK. Fair enough. It's me or the football. OK. Pack your bags. See you later. <laughs> you know, there's a three o'clock. Burnley Palace are on. Um, and that's it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's what people want to see. Uh, they want to see football and there's no complaints that you've got enough of it to watch right now. 
So, Matthew, with the three o'clock Saturday being in action, does that sort of nullify Soccer Saturday because there's no string of games around that time? Does it also nullify Match of the Day? Because in theory, you could just watch all the action in a row on a Saturday and not have to worry about staying up till 10.30 midnight to watch it all. So, you know, are these programmes at the moment dying a slow death? For the moment, yes. I think we do need to sort of yes, put everything that, on hold because yeah. think, things will get back to quote-unquote normal, even if it's a case of, you know, 25% capacity. I've read um, just a couple of minutes ago that um, the EFL are trying a, trialling a bunch of games to get fans and grants so on and so forth. I think whilst... If whilst all the games are on TV, then yes, the programs like Soccer Saturday and Match the Day, you know, who everyone was all all in a blaze about, you know, they're going to get new presenters and it's all going to change, and no one's watching it now, so we don't need to. So that so that all uh, chaos and controversy could be put on the back bench for a couple of months at least. I do think it's going to be interesting though when we get to the limited you know, the limited capacity games in October, you know, will the fact that, you know, only 25% of people are being allowed to go into, you know, White Hart Lane or the Emirates or Old Trafford or anything like that, will that be enough for the clubs to you know, justify then having to put the things games on a subscription service rather than just keeping it as it is with, or, you know, every, so everyone can see the game. It's, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a bit of a weird one. It'll be fascinating to see how each club sort of deals with, deals with that as it goes along yes very good point because where do you draw the line because if you're letting some fans in is that enough to exclude the 80 percent of watching the game you know you've sort of got the same problem or issue as if you had a sold out ground and you didn't make the screening available to everyone who didn't have a ticket it's you know what point is enough at what point also max is too much football you know it's a nice problem to have but in theory you think okay i've got four matches back to back i'm going to watch them all but that's four matches with no real crowd noise. How much of a slog is that for you? Um, I think at the beginning it is it is fantastic, you know, to have the the feast of football and to, and and I'm I'm not gonna lie, I, I watched almost all of the of the five or six games over this weekend, and, and probably a good thing for me that my girlfriend was away on holiday and wasn't uh, d- didn't have anything to say about it. <laughs> um, but but going forwards, I think there will come a point where it it might be. A little bit it might be a little bit too much saturation and too much of a good thing and you'll get to a point where you're thinking well it, it is a lot to do it is it is completely unnatural and it and it's better than nothing but you're right without the without the crowds there and the the kind of organic atmosphere that you get which is is difficult to to put your finger on exactly it's quite intangible but obviously when there's no crowd noise, it doesn't have the same effect. And even with the crowd noise, it's not it's not the same. And imagine how much better a spectacle the Liverpool Leeds game would have been if there was a full pack to the rafters crowd in there. Um, it, it's it's not quite the same. It is better than it is better than nothing. But I think we might we might get to a point where people are a little bit disillusioned um, with how it's going and maybe not so willing to. To, to slog through all the games back to back, given that they're all in different time slots. Uh, but to be honest, yeah, I just can't wait for for it to get back to to, to normal with with fans with fans in the grounds. Yeah, I think we all share that mindset. I think for me, three matches is the maximum I can watch in a row. I was tapping out a little bit by West Ham Newcastle. It's just that fourth game and no atmosphere. You know, you obviously can have the sort of fake atmosphere. It's like oh god, like another two hours of football. It's a nice problem to have. But week on week, you think that's going to eat up every Saturday until we get to a, a nicer point of where we were before. So, again, a nice problem to have. And talking of tapping out, we're tapping out for this afternoon because we've hit full time. So, time to do the admin, which is simple enough as thanking the guests. First up, I need to thank, thank Max. So, Max, a stunning performance once more. And you are making this place in the team your own. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Hopefully, I can hold down the slot for a little bit longer. Top man. Matthew... Excellent work as always, and thanks for your time again. Yep, not a problem. You know where I am. I do. Well, not literally, but <laughs> via DM. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bit too scary. <laughs> and also, Carl, the captain's armband is going nowhere. I hope you'll join me again next Tuesday. Definitely, mate. I think after 10 games, this team should be fighting high and looking for Champions League, mate. That's right, mate. Right. Cheers, guys, to you all, and also cheers to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye.
Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.